Causes are linked with effect, and what was effect becomes cause. The influences of events on events interlace with each other and descend in widening streams to subsequent events, so that the whole complex result is interlaced through every part. The astronomers suppose that the removal of one planet from our system would modify more or less the balance in orbits of all the rest, so the failure of one event in this plan would derange the whole directly or indirectly. If God had not foreordained the course of events, but waited until some undetermined condition was or was not fulfilled, his decrees could be neither eternal nor immutable. We know, however, that he is incapable of mistake, and that he cannot be surprised by any unforeseen inconveniencies. His kingdom is in the heavens, and he rules over all. His plan must therefore include every event in the entire sweep of history. That even the small events have their place in this plan, and that they must be as they are, is easily seen. All of us know of certain chance happenings which have actually changed the course of our lives. The effects of these extend throughout all succeeding history in ever-widening influences, causing other chance happenings. It is said that the quacking of some geese once saved Rome. Whether historically true or not, it will serve as a good illustration. Have not the geese awakened the guards who gave the alarm and aroused the defending army, Rome would have fallen, and the course of history from that time on would have been radically different. Had those geese remained silent, who can imagine what empires might have been in existence today, or where the centers of culture might have been? During a battle, a bullet misses the general by only an inch. His life is spared. He goes on commanding his troops, wins a decisive victory, and is made the chief ruler of his country for many years, as was the case with George Washington. Yet, what a different course history would have taken had the soldier on the other side aimed the slightest trifle, higher or lower. The Great Chicago Fire of 1871 which destroyed more than half of the city, was started, we are told, when a cow kicked over a lantern. How different would have been the history of Chicago if that one motion had been slightly different. The control of the greatest must include the control of the less. For not only are great things made up of little things, but history shows how the various trifles are continually proving the pivots on which momentous events revolve. The persistence of a spider nerved a despairing man to fresh exertions which shaped a nation's future. The God who predestinated the course of Scotch history must have planned and presided over the movements of that tiny insect that saved Robert Bruce from despair. Examples of this kind could be multiplied indefinitely. The Pelagian denies that God has a plan. The Arminian says that God has a general, but not a specific plan. But the Calvinist says that God has a specific plan which embraces all events in all ages. In recognizing that the eternal God has an eternal plan in which it predestinated every event that comes to pass, the Calvinist simply recognizes that God is God and frees him from all human limitations. 
The scriptures represent God as a person, like other persons, in that his acts are purposeful, but unlike other persons, in that he is all-wise in his planning and all-powerful in his performing. They see the universe as the product of his creative power and as the theater in which are displayed his glorious perfections and which must in all its form and all its history down to the least detail correspond with his purpose in making it. In a very illuminating article on predestination, Dr. Benjamin B. Warfield, who, in the opinion of the present writer, has emerged as the outstanding theologian since John Calvin, tells us that the writers of scripture saw the divine plan as broad enough to embrace the whole universe of things, the minute enough to concern itself with the smallest details, and actualizing itself with inevitable certainty in every event that comes to pass. In the infinite wisdom of the Lord of all the earth, each event falls with exact precision into its proper place in this unfolding of his eternal plan. Nothing, however small, however strange, occurs without his ordering or without its peculiar fitness for its place in the working out of his purposes. And the end of all shall be the manifestation of his glory and accumulation of his praise. This is the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, philosophy of the universe, a world view which attains concrete unity in an absolute decree or purpose, or plan, of which all that comes to pass is the development in time. The very essence of consistent theism is that God would have an exact plan for the world, would foreknow the actions of all the creatures he proposed to create, and through his all-inclusive providence would control the whole system. If he foreordained only certain isolated events, confusion both in the natural world and in human affairs would be introduced into the system and he would need to be constantly developing new plans to accomplish what he desired. His government of the world then would be capricious patchwork of new expedients. He would at best govern only in a general way and would be ignorant of much of the future. But no one with proper ideas of God believes that he has to change his mind every few days to make room for unexpected happenings which were not included in his original plan. If the perfection of the divine plan be denied, no consistent stopping place will be found short of atheism. In the first place, there was no necessity that God should create at all. He acted with perfect freedom when he brought forth this world into existence. When he did choose to create, there was before him an infinite number of possible plans, but as a matter of fact, we find he chose this particular one in which we now are. And since he knew perfectly well every event of every kind which would be involved in this particular world order, he very obviously predetermined every event which would happen when he chose this plan. His choice of the plan or his making certain that a creation should be on this order, we call his foreordination or his predestination. Even the sinful acts of men are included in this plan. They are foreseen, permitted, and have their exact place. 
They are controlled and overruled for the divine glory. The crucifixion of Christ, which is admittedly the worst crime in all human history, had, we are expressly told, its exact and necessary place in the plan. Acts 2.23 and 4.28 This particular manner of redemption is not an expedient to which God was driven after being defeated and disappointed by the fall of man. Rather, it is according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3.11 Peter tells us that Christ as a sacrifice for sin was foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.20 Believers were chosen in him before the foundation of the world or from eternity. Ephesians 1.4 We are saved not by our own temporary works but according to his purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before time eternal. 2 Timothy 1.9 And if the crucifixion of Christ or his offering up himself as a sacrifice for sin was in the eternal plan then plainly the fall of Adam and all their sins which made that sacrifice necessary were in the plan no matter how undesirable a part of that plan they may have been. History in all its details even the most minute is but the unfolding of the eternal purposes of God. His decrees are not successively formed as the emergency arises, but are all parts of one all-comprehending plan, and we should never think of him suddenly evolving a plan or doing something which he had not thought of before. The fact that the scriptures often speak of one purpose of God as dependent on the outcome of another or on the actions of men is no objection against this doctrine. The scriptures are written in the everyday language of men and they often describe an act or a thing as it happens to be, rather than as it really is. The Bible speaks of the four corners of the earth, Isaiah 11:12, and of the foundations of the earth, Psalm 105, verse 5. Yet no one understands this to mean that the earth is square, or that it actually rests upon a foundation. We speak of the sun rising and setting, yet we know that it is not the motion of the sun, but that of the earth as it turns over on its axis, which causes this phenomenon. Likewise, when the scriptures speak of God repenting, for instance, no one with proper ideas of God understands it to mean that he sees he has pursued a wrong course and changes his mind. It simply means that his actions, as seen from the human viewpoint, appears to be like that of a man who repents. In other places, the scriptures speak of the hands or arms or eyes of God. These are what are known as anthropomorphisms, instances in which God is referred to as if he were a man. When the word repent, for instance, is used in a strict sense, God is said never to repent. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Numbers 23.19 And again, the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. 1 Samuel 15.29 The contemplation of this great plan must redound to the praise of the unsearchable wisdom and illuminable power of him who devised and executes it. And what can give the Christian more satisfaction and joy than to know that the whole course of the world 
is ordered with reference to the establishment of the kingdom of heaven and the manifestation of the divine glory, and that he is one of the objects upon which infinite love and mercy is to be lavished. Scripture proof is as thus. God's plan is eternal. 2 Timothy 1.9 It is God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time eternal. Psalm 33.11 The counsel of Jehovah standeth fast forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Isaiah 37.26 Hast thou not heard how I have done it long ago, informed it of ancient times? Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 God chose you from the beginning unto salvation in sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Matthew 25.34 Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.20 Christ, who, as the sacrifice for sin, was foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world. Jeremiah 31.3 Jehovah appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Acts 15.18 Saith the Lord, who maketh these things known from of old. Psalm 139.16 Thine eyes did see mine unformed substance, and in thy books they were all written, even the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. 2. God's plan is unchangeable. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, in whom can be no variation, neither shadow that is cast by turning. Isaiah 14.24 Jehovah of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah 46, verses 10 and 11. My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Yea, I have spoken, and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will also do it. Numbers 23:19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Malachi 3:6. I, Jehovah, change not. Therefore ye, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. 3. The divine plan includes the future acts of men. Daniel 2.28 But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and he hath made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. John 6.64 For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who it was that should betray him. Matthew 20, verse 18 and 19 Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him unto the Gentiles, to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify. And the third day he shall be raised up. All scripture prophecies, which are predictions of future events, come under this heading. See especially Micah 5.2. Compare with Matthew 2, verses 5 and 6 
in Luke 2 verses 1 through 7, Psalms 22 verse 18. Compare John 19 verse 24, Psalm 69 verse 21. Compare John 19 verse 29, Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. Compare John 19:37, Mark 14:30, Zechariah 11 verses 12 and 13. Compare Matthew 27 verses 9 and 10, Psalms 34 verse 19 and 20. Compare John 19 verse 33 and 36. 4. The divine plan includes the fortuitous events or chance happenings. Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of Jehovah. Jonah 1:7. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Acts 1.24 and 26 And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show of these two the one whom thou hast chosen. And they cast lots for them, and their lot fell on Matthias. Job 36, verse 32 He covereth his hands with the lightning, and giveth it a charge that it strikes the mark. 1 Kings 22, verses 28 and 34 and Micah said, If thou, Ahab, return at all in peace, Jehovah hath not spoken by me. And a certain man drew his bow at a venture, and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the armor. Job 5, verse 6 For affliction cometh not forth from the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Mark 14, verse 30 And Jesus said unto him, Peter, Verily I say unto thee, that thou today even this night, before the cock crow twice, shall deny me thrice. Compare Genesis 37, verse 28, and chapter 45, verse 5. Compare 1 Samuel 19, verse 15 and 16, and chapter 9, verses 5 through 10. 5. Some events are recorded as fixed or inevitably certain. Luke 22, verse 22. For the Son of Man indeed goeth, as it hath been determined, but woe unto that man, through whom he is betrayed. John 8.20 These words spake he in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, and no man took him, because his hour was not yet come. Matthew 24, verse 36 But of that day and hour, the end of the world, knoweth no one, not even the angels in heaven, neither the Son of Man, but the Father only. Genesis 41, verse 32 And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh, it is because the thing is established of God, and he will shortly bring it to pass. Habakkuk 2.3 For the vision is yet for the appointed time, and it hastens toward the end, and shall not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not delay. Luke 21 verse 24 And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jeremiah 15 verse 2 and it shall come to pass when they say unto thee, Whither shall we go forth? Then thou shalt tell them, Thus saith Jehovah, Such as are for death to death, and such as are for the sword to the sword, and such as are for famine to the famine, and such as for captivity to captivity. Job 14.5 Seeing that his days are determined, then the number of his months is with thee, and thou hast appointed bounds that he cannot pass. Jeremiah 27, verse 7 And all nations shall serve him 
Nebuchadnezzar, and his son, and his son's son, until the time of his own land come, and then many nations and great kings shall make him their bondman. 6. Even the sinful acts of men are included in the plan and are overruled for good. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, ye meant evil against me, Joseph, but God meant it for good. Isaiah 45, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I am Jehovah that doeth all these things. Amos 3, verse 6. Shall evil befall a city, and Jehovah hath not done it? Acts 3.18 The things which God foreshadowed by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Matthew 21, verse 42 The stone which the builders rejected, the same was made the head of the corner. Romans 8.28 To them that love God, all things work together for good, even to them that are called according to his purpose. Chapter 4, page 30, The Sovereignty of God Every thinking person readily sees that some sovereignty rules his life. He was not asked whether or not he would have existence, nor when, where, or what he would be born, whether in the 20th century or before the flood, whether white or negro, whether in America or in China. It has been recognized by Christians in all ages that God is the creator and ruler of the universe and that as the creator and ruler of the universe, he is the ultimate source of all the power that is found in the creatures. Hence, nothing can come to pass apart from his sovereign will, and when we dwell upon this truth, we find that it involves considerations which establish the Calvinistic and disprove the Arminian position. By virtue of the fact that God has created everything which exists, he is the absolute owner and final disposer of all that he has made. He exerts not merely a general influence, but actually rules in the world which he has created. The nations of the earth, in their insignificance, are as the small dust of the balance when compared with the greatness of him, and far sooner might the sun be stopped in his course than God be hindered in his work or in his will. Amid all the apparent defeats and inconsistencies of life, God actually moves on in undisturbed majesty. Even the sinful actions of man can occur only by his permission, and since he permits not unwillingly but willingly all that comes to pass, including the actions and ultimate destiny of men, must be, in some sense, in accordance with what he has desired and purposed. Just in proportion as this is denied, God is excluded from the government of the world. Naturally, some problems arise here which we in our present state of knowledge are not fully capable of solving. But that is no significant ground for rejecting what the scriptures in the plain dictates of reason affirm to be true. If the power of an earthly king is law in his kingdom, how much more shall the word of God be in his? For example, the Christian knows that the day is certainly coming when willingly or unwillingly every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the scriptures, he is represented to us as God Almighty, who sits upon the throne of universal dominion. He knows the end from the beginning and the means to be used in attaining that end. He is able to do for us exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. The category of the impossible has no existence for him with whom all things are possible 
Matthew 19:26, Mark 10:27. This, however, does not mean that God has power to do that which is contrary to his nature or to work contradictions. It is impossible for God to lie or to do anything which is morally wrong. He cannot make two and two equal five, nor can he make a wheel turn around and stand still at the same time. His omnipotence is as sure as a guarantee that the course of the world will conform to his plan, as is his holiness a guarantee that all his works will be right. Not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well, we find this doctrine of God's sovereignty consistently developed. Dr. Warfield finds, concerning the doctrine as it is found there, the Almighty Maker of all that is represented equally as the irresistible ruler of all that he has made. Jehovah sits as king forever. Psalm 29, verse 19. He goes on to say that the writers really use the expressions as it rains. They instinctively speak of God sending rain, etc., The possibility of accident and chance are excluded and even the lot was an accepted means of obtaining the decision of God. Joshua 7.16, chapter 14, verse 2, chapter 18, verse 6, 1 Samuel 10.19, Jonah 1.7. All things without exception indeed are disposed by him and his will is the ultimate account of all that occurs. Heaven and earth and all that is in them are the instruments through which he works his ends. Nature, nations, and the fortunes of the individual alike present in all their changes the transcript of his purpose. The winds are his messengers, the flaming fire his servant. Even natural occurrence is his act. Prosperity is his gift. And if calamity falls upon man, it is the Lord that has done it. Amos 3, verses 5 and 6. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 33 through 38, Isaiah 47, verse 7, Ecclesiastes seven fourteen, Isaiah 54, verse 16. It is he that leads the feet of men, which they weather or not. He that raises up and casts down, opens and hardens the heart, and creates the very thoughts and intents of the soul. And shall we not believe that God can convert a sinner when he pleases? Cannot the Almighty, the omnipotent ruler of the universe, change the characters of the creatures he has made? He changed the water into wine at Cana and converted Saul on the road to Damascus. The leper said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, and that a word his leprosy was cleansed. God is able to cleanse the soul as the body, and we believe that if he chooses to do so, he could raise up such a flood of Christian ministers, missionaries, and workers of various kinds that the world would be converted in a very short time. If he actually purposed to save all men, he could send hosts of angels to instruct them and to do supernatural works on the earth. He could himself work marvelously on the heart of every person so that no one would be lost. Since evil exists only by his permission, he could, if he chose, blot out all existence of it. His power in this latter respect was shown, for instance, in the work of the destroying angel, who in one night slew all the firstborn of the Egyptians, Exodus 12, verse 29, 
and in another night slew 185,000 of the Assyrian army. 2 Kings 19.35 It was shown when the earth opened and swallowed Korah and his rebellious allies. Numbers 16 verses 31 through 33 Ananias and Sapphira were smitten. Acts 5 verses 1 through 11 Herod was smitten and died a horrible death. Acts 12.23 God has lost none of his power and it is highly dishonoring to him to suppose that he is struggling along with the human race doing the best he can but unable to accomplish his purposes. Although the sovereignty of God is universal and absolute, it is not the sovereignty of blind power. It is coupled with infinite wisdom, holiness, and love. And this doctrine, when properly understood, is a most comforting and reassuring one. Who would not prefer to have his affairs in the hands of a God of infinite power, wisdom, holiness, and love, rather than to have them left to fate, or chance, or irrevocable natural law, or to short-sighted perverted self? Those who reject God's sovereignty should consider what alternatives they have left. The affairs of the universe, then, are controlled and guided how? According to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. The present-day tendency is to set aside the doctrines of divine sovereignty and predestination in order to make room for the autocracy of human will. The pride and presumption of man, on the one hand, and his ignorance and depravity on the other, lead him to exclude God and to exalt himself, so far as he is able. And both of these tendencies combine to lead the great majority of mankind away from Calvinism. The Arminian idea, which assumes that the serious intentions of God may in some cases at least be defeated, and that man, who is not only a creature but a sinful creature, can exercise veto power over the plans of Almighty God, is in striking contrast with the biblical idea of his immeasurable exaltation by which he is removed from all the weaknesses of humanity. That the plans of men are not always executed is due to a lack of power or a lack of wisdom, but since God is unlimited in these and all other resources, no unforeseen emergencies can arise, and to him the causes for change have no existence. To suppose that his plan fail, and that he strives to no effect, is to reduce him to the level of his creatures. Scripture proof, Daniel 4.35 He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Jeremiah 32.17 Ah, Lord Jehovah, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Matthew 28.18 All authority hath been given unto me, Christ, in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 1.22 And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Ephesians 1.11 In whom we were made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Isaiah 14, verses 24 and 27. Jehovah of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. For Jehovah of hosts hath purposed, and who shall annul it? 
and his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Isaiah 46, verses 9, 10, and 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Yea, I have spoken, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will also do it. Genesis 18.14 Is anything too hard for Jehovah? Job 42.2 I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be restrained. Psalm 115.3 Our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he pleased. Psalm 135.6 Whatsoever Jehovah pleased, that hath he done, in heaven, in earth, in the seas, in all the deeps. Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Romans 9, verses 20 and 21. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why didst thou make me thus? Or hath not the potter a right over the clay, from the same lump to make one part a vessel unto honor, and another unto dishonor. Chapter 5, page 35, The Providence of God. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Shorter Catechism answer to question 11. The scripture very clearly teach that all things outside of God owe not merely their original creation, but their continued existence with all their properties and powers to the will of God. He upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, Colossians 1.17. Thou art Jehovah, even thou alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is in them, and thou preservest them all. Nehemiah 9, verse 6. In him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17:28. He is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians 4, 6. Throughout the Bible, the laws of nature, the course of history, the varying fortunes of individuals are even attributed to God's providential control. All things, both in heaven and earth, from the seraphim down to the tiny atom, are ordained by his never-failing providence. So intimate is his relationship with the whole creation that a careless reader might be led towards pantheistic conclusions, yet individual personalities and second causes are fully recognized, not as independent of God, but as having their proper place in his plan. In the long sight of this doctrine of his eminence, the scripture writers also present the kindred doctrine of his transcendence, in which God is distinctly set forth as entirely separate from and above the whole creation. Yet as regards God's providence, we are to understand that he is intimately concerned with every detail in the affairs of men and in the course of nature. To suppose that anything is too great to be comprehended in his control, says Dr. Charles Hodge, or anything so minute as to escape his notice, or that the infinitude of particulars can distract his attention is to forget that God is infinite. The 
sun diffuses its light through all space as easily as upon any point. God is as much present everywhere and with everything as though he were only in one place and had but one object of attention. And again, he is present in every blade of grass, yet guiding Articorus in his course, marshalling the stars as a host, calling them by their names, present also in every human soul, giving it understanding, endowing it with gifts, working in it both to will and to do. The human heart is in his hands, and he turneth it even as the rivers of water are turned. It is almost universally admitted that God determines when, where, and under what circumstances each individual of our race shall be born, live, and die, whether it shall be male or female, white or black, wise or foolish. God is no less sovereign in the distribution of his favors. He does what he will and with his own. To some he gives riches, to others honors, to others health, to others certain talents, for music, oratory, art, finance, statesmanship, etc. Others are poor, unknown, born in dishonor, the victims of disease, and live lives of wretchedness. Some are placed in Christian lands where they receive all the benefits of the gospel. Others live and die in the darkness of heathenism. Some are brought through faith unto salvation. Others are left to perish in unbelief. And to a very large extent, these external things which are not the result of individual choice decide the person's life course and eternal destiny both scripture and everyday experience teach us that God gives to some what he withholds from others if it be asked why he does this or why he does not save all the only available answer is found in the words of the Lord Jesus yea father for so it was well pleasing in thy sight only the scripture doctrine of the fall and redemption will give us any light on what we see about us. It is to be remembered that those who receive these gifts, whether spiritual or temporal, receive them through pure grace, while in regard to the others, God simply withholds those gifts which he was under no obligation to bestow. Nations as well as individuals are thus in the hands of God, who appoints the bounds of their habitation and controls their destiny. He controls them as absolutely as a man controls a rod or a staff. They are in his hands, and he employs them to accomplish his purposes. He breaks them in pieces as a potter's vessel, or he exalts them to greatness according to his good pleasure. He gives peace and fruitful seasons, property and happiness, or he sends the dissolutions of war, famine, drought and pestilence. All of these things are of his disposing and are designed for intelligent ends under his universal providence. God is no mere spectator of the universe he has made, but is everywhere present and active, the all-sustaining ground, the all-governing power of all that is. Although the price of the sparrow is small and its flight seems giggly and at random, yet it does not fall to the ground nor alight anywhere without your father. His all-wise providence hath before appointed what bow it shall perch upon, what grains it shall pick up, where it shall lodge and where it shall build, on what it shall live and where it shall die.
Every raindrop and every snowflake which falls from the cloud, every insect which moves, every plant which grows, every grain of dust which floats in the air has had certain definite causes and will have certain definite effects. Each is a link in the chain of events, and many of the great events of history have turned on these apparently insignificant things. Throughout the whole course of events there is progress toward a predetermined end. Dr. Warfield has well written, It was not accident that brought Rebecca to the well to welcome Abraham's servant, Genesis 24, or that sent Joseph into Egypt, Genesis 45, verse 8, chapter 50, verse 20. God meant it for good. Or guided Pharaoh's daughter to the ark among the flags, Exodus 2. Or that later directed the millstone that crushed Abimelech's head, Judges 9, 53 or winged the arrow shot at the venture to smite the king in the joints of the armor, 1 Kings 22.34. Every historical event is rather treated as an item in the ordinary carrying out of an underlying divine purpose, and the historian is continually aware of the presence in history of him who gives even to the lightning a charge to strike the mark. Job 36, verse 32. In the great railroad stations, says Dr. Clarence E. McCartney, you can see a metallic pencil come out and write in great characters on the wall the time of the arrival or departure of the trains. The metallic pencil seems to write of itself, but we know that hidden in an office somewhere, the mind of the hand of a man are operating the pencil. So, in our own life, we note our own deliberations and choices and decisions, and yet in the fabric of our destiny there seem to be other strands, strands not of our own weaving. Apparently trivial events play their part in great issues. Man's sense of moral responsibility and dependence and his instinctive appeal to God in times of danger show how universal and innate is the conviction that God does govern the world and all human events. But while the Bible repeatedly teaches that this providential control is universal, powerful, wise, and holy, it nowhere attempts to inform us how it is to be reconciled with man's free agency. All that we need to know is that God does govern his creatures and that his control over them is such that no violence is done to their natures. Perhaps the relationship between divine sovereignty and human freedom can best be summed up in these words. God so presents the outside inducements that man acts in accordance to his own nature, yet does exactly what God has planned for him to do. This subject, as it relates to human responsibility, will be more fully treated in the chapter on free agency. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com. 
by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.